welcome to Susan's podcast. Hi guys, I'm Susan West. Oh, the real Susan arrived. Did you almost fall from the chair? No, I got out of my chair. I'm just adjusting. Okay, there we go. My throat's cleared. I love that you talked about obviously being up to date on your knowledge, but Alicia, what are some things to do that you do? What strategies do you employ to stay up to date with industry developments, your knowledge, peer to peer knowledge, your employees knowledge? How do you make sure that not only you, but your teams, they stay current and relevant? You know, that's one of the things that I am so um, proud to work for Fidelity. I mean, we, we get all of that information fed to us, right? We have resources, um, that are way stronger than what we would be able to have alone at a local level to keep us up to date with that, to give us a push, you know, to try a centralized processing unit or encouragement to kind of think outside the box with your efficiencies and things like that. So from a like high level standpoint, I think the education and the training and the, and the staying up to speed with knowledge is just utilizing the resources that Fidelity has provided for us. Um, we, you know, have a, a pretty strong focus here about paying attention to the local market. And for me, staying in it, um, if I've got a closer that's got to go out on vacation and we don't have anybody to cover her desk, I'm going to go cover her desk and I get to go do closings for the week. There is nothing that keeps you sharp, like going to the closing table or working a closer's desk for a few days. So, you know, I, I talked about the COVID years and being so crazy. We staffed up and brought in a lot of people to our operation that had never worked in the industry before. Um, and, and escrow training has always been escrow and title for that matter has always been sink or swim, right? How many times have you ladies heard, oh, I didn't really get any official training or there's not a class I can send you to for a lot of this stuff. You just have to do it as you go. Um, but there are some basics, um, some things that we really do like to spend time with, um, with people training and getting them familiar with it. And through the crazy years, we, we lost that. So we've kind of circled back and, and are starting that again and back to the basics and talking about just those little things, the little boxes that you check in your process. Um, and I mean, efficiencies, we, I say efficiency so many times in a day, it, it like drives me crazy, yeah. but we, you know, work-life balance is one of those things is mythical creatures, right? Everybody wants work-life balance, but we run so much business through our operations. We have to continue to find efficient ways to get it done in order for anybody to have any kind of work-life balance. So since uh, I was an escrow operations admin for about four years before I stepped into this role, and that's what I spent every single day of my, of my career doing was trying to find ways to become efficient, um, train our people and, and help them move on to that so that they can spend more time customer facing. I love that. I love that. And um, you know, I think that again, like efficiency is the word of the decade, if you will, like yeah. truly for all of us, I think we are, we're all trying to figure out how to, how to be more efficient with less staff and make more money. Right. Like that's the, that's the end goal right now. But, um, Paula, we've got a couple more questions, but I have one last secret that I just completely want you to dish. Um, and that is how do you leverage market trends and industry insights, because I know you've got some some good gems in here to identify those lucrative commercial opportunities. And can you give us an example on when you really capitalized on those things? Well, I mean, I think number one, having a sales team that is very plugged in and very interested and passionate, as I said a million times before about commercial real estate, they are amazing at putting this money guy with that guy that's looking for, you know, that has land to sell or that guy that's going to do a deal. Uh, so I think those are, are, that's our strongest strategy about 
commercial work is you get to know people again the word people you get to know what they're looking for what their role in our commercial industry is and you sort of create this rolodex in your head a very old-fashioned term of people and their needs and as a commercial salesperson you you tend to put those together we have events where where we can put those different types of of customers in the room and get make those introductions and beyond the fact that we are the nation's largest title insurance company and we have an incredible amount of reserves to pay claims and incredible amount of talent to do big uh, exciting and complicated commercial deals we also become that go-to resource for that introduction and so I, I think that that is our, our biggest strength. Uh, having a large sales team helps. We have 11, so that's a pretty good sized team. They all work different asset classes. That's, that's interesting. Uh, so they don't cross over each other a whole lot. They do a pretty good job about teaming up together when, when there's a need, but we do tend to run almost separate sales teams, whether we're talking about the hospitality industry like hotels or we're talking about multifamily, those teams will work together and they really won't cross paths as much as you might think. Uh, so, you know, for example, we're Dallas Cowboys partners here in Dallas Fort Worth. So we do a lot of stuff with the Dallas Cowboys, which is so exciting and fun. But we have an event scheduled for the the star, which is the Dallas Cowboys practice facilities for a bunch of hotel folks that we'll bring together and let them be in the same room and experience, you know, have that Dallas Cowboys experience right before the season kicks off. So we do things like that. And we're fortunate, like I said, to have the Cowboys relationship. We also do a monthly luncheon that Man has been going on since well before I was at Fidelity. It's a tradition. And we bring in speakers and everyone at the luncheon comes from different walks of life, different assets, asset classes. Uh, so it's a great group of people. We used to have it at seven, like seven in the morning. So you knew you only got the really serious people that want to be in downtown Dallas at 7 a.m. Uh, but we have moved it to a lunchtime event. But we'll always have really uh, hard hitting speakers that are very knowledgeable it's it's really academic and so you get this incredibly talented group of people that come in so those are a few of the things that we do but again commercial real estate you know we always get the the criticism of being the glam group because we do a lot of travel and entertainment much to the chagrin of the company sometimes but honestly it's a very academic group my my group is made up of four lawyers really studious closers that are almost like examiners salespeople who've graduated from you know incredible universities with with pretty deep degrees and very intellectual. So it is not as glamorous as it may sound. I mean, big money and really exciting stuff and certainly charismatic people. But I think you'd be surprised at how much time they spend being sort of pseudo lawyers and and, and four of them are lawyers, really relooking at every document and every piece of paper that affects a transaction. So uh, I think that those are some of the things that we do. Obviously, it's always evolving depending on what asset class is moving and what's not. So, well, Paula, I know that we are always um, walking around reporting you and, and taking notes. So, thank you, as always, for all the knowledge that you share with us. And, guys, I want to close out on this. This is a fun one. Tell us about a really challenging transaction that you guys had with um, a successful outcome because of the obstacles that you and your team were able to overcome? 
putting us on the spot. I'm trying to remember a good one. Yeah, there are just so many. Part of the problem is, and I think part of the problem is when you get them behind you, like you close the door. Yeah, you you close the door. And you're like, you barricaded the door. You do not want that door to open ever, ever again. I mean, I think we all have situations where someone has passed away during escrow. We had one not long ago where I I forget one passed away during escrow and and then the other maybe spouse or co-owner went to prison. And so now we've got to deal with the estate, uh, which there was no will. Of course, we, I think all three of us, if we had a chance, we would do a soapbox about the importance of having a will drafted because every title person (laughs) sees that over and over again. Uh, So that was one. We just had to be methodical and patient, get the customers to be patient. And we did finally get it closed. But I, I imagine we all probably have instances where someone has passed away. That's always a tough deal. You're dealing with the, the grief for the family as well as, you know, hey, okay, we got to get all this paperwork done to get this deal closed. So I would say to me, that's the number one obstacle that we have in the title business is when someone passes away during escrow. Dead people. Yeah. You know, and I think, yeah, dead people. And I think the, the other part of that, the dead people problem is, you know, Paula, you might be selling me your home and you're alive, right? But somebody in what we call the back chain is died. So the the realtor or the seller you're dealing with, Paul's like, I'm right here. I'm alive. What's the yeah. problem? Well, it's not you. It's who sold the property to you. And when they sold the property to you, their father was dead and, and they said they were the only heir, but they had siblings and the sibling, you know, so I think that dead people, definitely a problem for us um, in Florida. I'm not sure about tech. But we have to go back 30 years for a root deed. And if you can't find the root deed, we had one property, Jesse, it was um, $2 million. There were 10 or 20 parcels that went along with this piece of property. And with this 19 of the 20, we could go back 30 years to a root deed on one of the 20, which was like $50,000 value of the $2 million total. We couldn't get a root deed. It was obvious that whoever owned the property didn't pay their taxes. It went to tax deed. Like it was very, very obvious, but we couldn't go back 30 years in order to issue marketable title in Florida. You have to go back 30 years. What is tough about that, Jess, since you asked is we had an attorney in town that said, oh, they do it. And I went to our attorneys doing the only thing I could do, which is jump up and down and say, this isn't fair. Why can he do it? But we can't. And and the attorney looked at me, our underwriter, and said, Susan, it's not marketable title. You're not allowed to issue title that's not marketable. So I did find a workaround, by the way. And we did convey all 20 lots. We accepted the one lot out from coverage and we didn't provide the owner with coverage. And we went to the lender who was doing 50% loan to value, a million dollars loan on a $2 million acquisition. And we said, hey, lender, would you be okay if we just give you $1,950,000 worth of coverage and we accept out this one lot? So because of the circumstances, the lender was good. The seller obviously was good. And the buyer who knew that he needed to wait seven years for the 23-year-old deed that we could see to become a 30-year deed so he would have marketable title on this one lot. The buyer was good with that. So we informed, we discovered, we followed the law, we informed, we asked questions, we came up with a workaround and we were able to do it. So that was probably, and again, that that just points out that uh, I tell people all the time, especially when I'm teaching, that some title companies and attorneys might give you a yes while others might give you a no and the yes isn't always right. So this is going to be my counsel to anybody watching is that anything that we do in the world of title can be broken down and spoken in a way that's understandable. So get your title company that's telling you yes, why they're saying yes. And the title company that's saying no, why they're saying no, and then go forward accordingly. 
And I think that that was the message that we learned in that transaction. So that's one that I can remember, Jess. And I think trust is a big part of that too. Like, Mm -hmm. right. Like once you, once customers trust you, I say this when I teach, if I tell you it cannot be done, it cannot be done. Right. I don't care what anyone else tells you. I'm a 25 year veteran attorney. I'm board certified. If I tell you it can't be done and Fidelity can't do it, it can't be done. Now, can someone else close it and record the deed? Sure. But right. that means may very well mean that you end up with a lawsuit as a defendant mm-hmm. and when you're a buyer. Mm-hmm. And so I put that in the category of it can't be done. It can't be done clean and it can't be done without it with with. Uh, you know, only minimal risk of a problem. Obviously, there's always a risk. I mean, it's, we're in a risk m- business. I mean, anybody can sue anyone for anything at any time. But if if I can't close it with a very minimal risk to you as a buyer that you're not going to get sued, whether your title policy covers you or not, right. being sued is not fun. I don't care if your title insurance company is defending you. It will invade your life. It will go on your credit report. I mean, being sued is not a small thing. And so, yeah, if you if you can't do it, really cleanly, then it can't be done, in my opinion. And if I tell you it can't be done, it can't be done. But that comes with trust. You know, once you have a good company, Alicia, Jesse, Susan, me, where you're used to going and getting those answers and those answers are right, then I think you develop that trust as a customer. Develop that trust in us. Tag Paula knows best. Paula does know best. I say that all the time. Not everybody <laughs> believes Paula knows best, but I do say that. <laughs> I, I believe it. Well, I bet your kids question it the most, right? My kids do question it quite a bit. Yes, yes. So I, my difficult transaction I had, this is one that I closed personally as a closer in a vacant land deal and kind of a rural county, you know, outside of our metropolitan area and super nice seller. Um, he, he purchased the property from somebody in town. And he didn't go through a title company in that, in that transaction where he purchased it. They just went to the local attorney. They had an attorney's opinion done. He got the deed, move on, right? Well, he's ready to sell this now. He's ready to retire. He's going to put this money into his you know, retirement property. He's going to build his dream home. Like he's got all these hopes and dreams. Well, we pull the title work. You know, we get the title commitment back in and he doesn't own all of his property. There is this oil and gas company in some tiny town in Texas that still has majority majority ownership of his property. And so we go back and, and the attorney had made an error um, in their in their uh, opinion and this was not disclosed. He had no idea. So he goes back to the attorney and the attorney's basically like, well, you know, we did an, attor- an opinion. We didn't give you any insurance. You know, it's kind of one of those deals like it's your problem to fix. And so, I mean, this guy was in my office crying because this is the money that he was going to take from the sale of this property to get to his retirement home. And so we get to we get to work. We we start calling I talked to this sweet little lady. I don't even remember what her name was, but she could have been my grandmother. We find the oil and gas company. We call and talk to them. They had no idea that they still had any rights to this property. Um, the, the previous owner, you know, this guy had been paying property taxes on it for however many years, and they just deeded it to him. Like we talked to him, explained the situation, and they just signed a quick claim deed over to him, which was not at all how I expected that to happen. Yeah. I mean, if somebody finds out they've got ownership and property, right, they want money. Yeah. And so for, for him, that was one of the stories that was one of the most emotional closings that I'd ever done because I had this man in my office crying and we were able to solve all of his problems and get it done. Um, but then that goes in my file to like tell people why you need to get title insurance because it didn't have to turn out the way that it did. And I was shocked that it did. So that was and a, and a commercial for why we don't support attorney opinion letters nationwide in lieu yes. of title. And I knew that I knew somebody yes. was going to say it <laughs> right there. That is not cool. That is not the closing cost you want to cut 
at the closing table. It right. just isn't. And I'm all for attorneys working, y'all. As an attorney, I'm all for attorneys working. But, you know, I would never as a law firm have, have written an attorney opinion letter on a $2 million residential deal. And can can that attorney's office cover that loss if there is one? And yeah, they probably don't even have to. Well, I was going right? to say, Paula, don't. do they have to? And, and that's what's important to understand. An attorney's title opinion is a very educated opinion, right? But it's one that comes without insurance. And there is, is talk in the legislature right now about making some changes in part of our industry. And Jess, I think it's important to note that we have people, high level people in our company up there talking about why it is important for the consumer that they at least understand the difference between an attorney's title opinion and title insurance and that they're protected and that the right people are making these decisions. And right now they're not the right people making those decisions. So yes, Paula, I was biting my tongue, <laughs> biting my tongue. So yeah, cheaper is it. not always better. No, exactly. Not yeah, always even better. with shoes, even with shoes, even with shoes. And if you're a consumer, you're probably only going to buy a handful of homes in your lifetime. That does does not give you enough experience in the home buying process to become an expert, right? You're just not. That's 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 like me buying a boat or something. That's a once or twice in a lifetime deal. I'm not going to ever become an expert on boats. So I need other people to tell me what I don't know. Same thing. Like you, it's it's just a it just seems like a foreign language to the average consumer because of the technology that are the uh, terminology that we use and the process seems so foreign. So the last thing we need to do is take away a consumer protection because it saves them a few bucks at closing. It's just not worth it. Well, I think that it is abundantly obvious that as leaders, these ladies have navigated the changing real estate landscape. They have adapted, they have been innovative, and they have created efficiencies all while remaining compliant to the industry regulations. Their resilience in overcoming obstacles, negotiating those complex deals, and closing the high-stakes transactions showcases not only their expertise, their ability to be creative within their company, um, but it's also really demonstrated their strong leadership skills, their achievements, they highlight the importance of leadership, willpower, and the drive to reach new heights. Again, they are savvy businesswomen with passion, perseverance, and a willingness to embrace opportunities. So thank you, ladies, for joining us here today on our podcast brought to you by The Reframe. If those of you watching, watching really liked and enjoyed this podcast, please give it a like. If you want more industry insight and knowledge, please share this video. Reach out to us at the reframe underscore FNT to learn and talk more. Thank you guys for watching and we will see you soon.